Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. Every time I say reread, it becomes harder for me to say. And I'm beginning <laughs> to think about changing our tagline just so I can avoid the word in a sort of um, like porky pig style. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm fine to shake it up. Okay. So this week, Cart and Quitter by Diana Wynne-Jones. I thought Strum. I thought it was going to be Switter for some reason, but that makes sense. Oh, it's Quitter. I'm pretty sure it's Quitter. Uh-oh. We're going to say Cart and Quitter. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, everybody. We don't speak Welsh. No apologizing. Okay. I rescind. <laughs> um, this book was published in 1975. It is the first book in the Delmark Quartet. The second and third were also released in the 70s and then the fourth in the 90s. Um, I believe this book does take place chronologically third in the series, even though it comes first. So I think we uh-huh. get to know more about the about morals dad and mm-hmm. what led to the like very convoluted political situation that we find ourselves okay. in here <laughs> and relationship situation yes um anytime we cover a diana Wynne jones book we gotta give shout outs to all our wonderful listeners who found us because of her who request more by her who love her work as dearly as we do, maybe even more dearly. Mm-hmm. I am also always a little nervous when we cover a DWJ book because there are scholars out there yeah. who are just so well read and informed about Quite knowledgeable. her and her work and her life and her books. Yeah. Um, so wherever we have gaps, uh, feel free to reach out and give us a little more info. Dragon Babies Podcast at gmail.com. And without further ado, we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this one before, scamper along and check it out. It it looks like it's available as an audiobook in the UK, although mm-hmm. not in the US. Yeah. Um, not sure about other countries, but in the US it is a widely available as an ebook. So yeah. it's easy to get your hands on and it's a quick read. Yeah, and it's a not very, very fun one. Yeah. I will describe how the publisher chose to package and promote this book. Um, just to get into my like very confused childhood memories of this a bit, I'm certain I read this book. I had intense deja vu throughout reading it, like almost to the point where you start to get a little unsettled, <laughs> like something like a cat jumping up onto a shelf next to me when I was at a certain point. And I was like, I've been reading this paragraph when a cat jumped onto a shelf next to me before. You know what I mean? It's like, probably Calvin coming to menace you. Yes, we had a black cat when I was a child who uh, um, attacked me mercilessly. I'm not exaggerating. He never did to anyone else. Not exaggerating. I literally carried a pillow with me to beat him away. (laughs) I was moving about our home. Oh, my God. Anyway, I can't find the edition that I read which was from the library because i i've never owned it but we're going to go off of the first edition cover um illustrated by juliet stanwell smith for discussion's sake um i think this cover is I, i i enjoy it it's also a little weird but in the grand tradition of all diana Wynne jones covers it's doing its own thing we have examined her covers at length. You can view them 
listed under old Diana Wynne Jones episodes on drag, dragonbabiespodcast.com. It's a very funny cover. Yes. So it features Moral sitting by the fire playing his quitter with his dad, Clennon, watching and advising. His mom, question mark, Lenita, is off in the distance staring palely, wanly over at them next to the titular cart. And it's a sort of dark forest evening. The fire is illuminating their faces. And Moral has what I imagine the artist is depicting as his sleepy, dreamy look that is mentioned so often throughout the book. As he's playing, he's looking sort of winsomely off. He looks like a cat. (laughs) (laughs) Both in expression and facial features. (laughs) And he's got a very orange head of hair, so he is a ginger cat, one supposes. And I think that must be the wine jug that's just out of view in the lower left-hand corner. Um, The full cover is a full single illustration so there is more detail going on around oh, the back okay. so okay. I imagine that's where we will see Brid and Dagner <laughs> who knows <laughs> their names are so funny and yeah. it's so cute that they're all nickname shortened versions for these ridiculously fancy names that their dad gave them yep he loves long names um so I do enjoy this I think it does set up a a more serious book than this is, but it's always hard to create covers for Diana and Jones books because they're really challenging to sum up into a mm-hmm. single visual. Yeah. I like this move of going with a scene from the book and a quiet one mm-hmm. at that um, rather than one of the grander moments because we could easily have more like on the mountains playing them to move. Yeah. Um, like, but I just can't not think of him in like full glam rock style, like holding his quitter and being like, yeah, <laughs> with lightning coming down. Yes. yes. <laughs> but yeah, it also would be fun to get like a image of all of them, like at the first show that we see. I know it would book. be cool to see them playing. And yeah. I'd also love, I think it's funny that the cart is hidden off in the trees because it's so often mentioned as being really gaudy and yeah. bright. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd love to see the painted cart out there. Yeah. But overall, good cover, Juliet Stanwell Smith. Madeline is going to provide us with a plot summary. It is a short book, but it is a twisty one, and there are a lot of characters. So let's all give Madeline our eager ears as she gets going. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Pressure. (laughs) They don't have to be that eager. (laughs) Be eager. (laughs) Uh, We can tell if you're not. Yeah, we can. That's true. I'm just going to run through the characters first, at least the most character characters, the main characters, <laughs> as some might say. <laughs> so the, the main, main character in this book is Moral. He is... Osvanerum Tanamoral Clenenson. Yep, that's his full name. We're going to call him Moral. The, he's the youngest son. He's like 11 um, of Clenin uh, and Lenina. Clenin is the main bard uh, of this group, and the, you know, the rest of the group are his wife and children. Lenina is his wife. Uh, his wife. Clennon is a super famous singer. Uh, he, you, it's, it's fascinating seeing him like go up and down this path and 
everyone recognizes mm-hmm. his cart, knows who he is, ex- excited to come out and see him. He has and, friends in every town who are giving them food mm-hmm. and lodging and news. Yeah, in the absence of like not much other entertainment or music, mm-hmm. he kind of seems like a monolith in doing this with his crew. Yeah, especially because of the political situation that they're traveling through. Yeah, there's some kind of weird authoritarianism in the South um, that isn't too fleshed out, uh, but in the South, you have to be careful. Um, Essentially, the king fell and the earls that hold the different regions are constantly at battle with one another and also the North as a larger monolith. And then Um, they have all these, like, like things just seem very corrupt and authoritarian on the ground because, mm -hmm. like, people will be punished really quickly and uh, brutally for minor infractions. Yeah, which can be just made up on the spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Okay, so that's Clennon and Lenina. Um, Lenina is the niece of Earl Tholian of Southdales, so she's technically nobility, which makes their children heirs to something. Um, And uh, their children, besides Moral, are Dagner, or Dasgendlin Hen Dagner. He's the eldest son, and Brid, who is their daughter, um... Kenneth Manalia Brid. Yes. <laughs> and then they also pick up Kialin, who, uh, like, when he first picks him up, it's just like, oh, here's our passenger going from the south to the north because they usually pick up a passenger. Because it's unsafe to travel by yourself. Yeah. Um, and uh, when he first appears, he just kind of seems like a grumpy teenager mm-hmm. um, who is very over this whole situation doesn't really know how to engage or help out or anything like that. Olab, Barangarolab, is their horse. Uh, Olab is uh, special because he reacts when there's enemies nearby, so he's a warning system. And he also seems to know where it's safe to sleep at night. He just has really good horse intuition. Yeah, horse sense. And then we have uh, Tholian, who is the Earl of Southdales, um, who is bad. He's like the main bad guy. And we have Ganner, who is the Lord of Markind, who was with Lenina, uh, Clenin's wife. And then Clenin like, stole Lenina from him using, as we will find out, magic. And, <laughs> and the whole time, Ganner's just been like pining after Lenina, like he didn't get married. He's a simple man. Yeah, he's just just hanging out. Um, And he comes into play a bit later in the book. Okay, so stage is set. These are the characters. This group of people is traveling through Dalemark. There is civil war, as we've kind of discussed. Um, In addition to stopping in towns and playing music, they also have messages, like they're mail carriers, basically. And Clennon is extraordinarily loud, bombastic, flamboyant, like performative. He just draws a lot of attention, and that's he's like the main energetic force of their company. Um, and he is continuing to teach his children 
this trade, basically, and they all have their part to play in their performances. So the first, the first good chunk of the book, like they pick up Kialin, um in in their journey, and they're gonna like keep heading north. There is a, like a little hint of uh, um, Ganner because there's like a well dressed gentleman that uh, Moral catches like murmuring to Lenina. So that's that's an undercurrent. He's just kind of around trying to be like, hey, if you want to leave this life, I'm still in love with you. <laughs> it's been 17 years, but <laughs> please come back to me. Which is one way to go about it, I guess. <laughs> He's persistent. <laughs> Politely persistent. He's not like harassing her. Right. No. I mean, well, some would argue that it is harassment to he's following be coming her. to these shows and just being like, remember me? But you I guess a beautiful family. I guess she's into it. <laughs> she seems to be interested, but but more so in that she needs the security that only a man can provide in this type of medieval setting. Mm-hmm. Um, she's very stoic with Clennon. Uh, we don't really see her ever seeming joyful mm-hmm. uh, with him. She doesn't really talk. Yeah. She just kind of like does chores and stuff, raises the family. Um, the, the children and parents are sort of divided among these really personality extreme lines mm-hmm. where Dagner and Lenina are very quiet mm-hmm. and just kind of focused. And then... Um, Brid and uh, I keep forgetting the dad's name. Clennon. Clennon. Clennon and Brid are the uh, the show folks. They are able to charm crowds, be gregarious, and just generally kind of bring people to their side. But Brid is a lot less talented than Clennon, like innately. Yeah, it and just apparent. younger. She's and, younger. Yeah. yeah, more to learn. And then. Uh, Moral is really somewhere in the middle. He is very dreamy. Mm-hmm. Like he loves to daydream and think about the North, which he's kind of obsessed with because it was where he was born mm-hmm. and lived when he was very young, um, but just has these kind of misty memories that he's always calling forth. So he spends yeah. a lot of time doing that. Like I said, Kellen is traveling with them. When Kellen gets in the cart, their payment is a massive jug of wine. Um, which Clennon is is stoked on, and uh, it turns out later that there is some stuff hidden in that, like, wine jug. There's a rapid shift in the action of this book where they go to camp. It's it's right after Clennon finds out that uh, Ganner has been, like, showing up and, Mm -hmm. like, asking Lenina if she wants to go with him, and uh, they... Clennon and Lenina kind of have a little fight, but Lenina's like, I I wouldn't do that because she has like a sense of duty to her husband and her family. Um, And then they go and make camp. Uh, Kialin and Dagnar go off to fish slash hunt rabbits and five well-dressed noblemen show up in the camp. Um, One of them we find out is Tholian, the evil earl. They uh, are looking for Clennon, and just as they're trying to lie about where Clennon is, he hops out of his tent, and then he gets stabbed to death, <laughs> which was kind of shocking. Yeah, um, it's very sudden. Yeah, yeah, and then he 
just like bleeds out on the ground. Um, Moral takes the big old quitter and like plays a lament for him basically. And it appears that his lament keeps Clennon alive long enough to say goodbye to each of his family members. Yeah, he gives a quiet message to each of them, so mm-hmm. they don't know what he said to the other. And during this time, Kellen has hidden away in the woods. Mm-hmm. Yes. And because it's... Which he seems to keep doing. <laughs> yeah, and that was the point at which I think it's apparent, like, oh, they're looking for Kellen. Yeah. Um and what he says to Moral is that he needs to take the old um, special quitter, and it's because he's in two worlds at once. Moral doesn't really know what this means, um, but as soon as Clennon dies, they dig him a grave, they bury him, and Lenina immediately, like that day, takes them oh, yeah. to, uh, <laughs> uh, what's his name, Ganner? Um, yeah, to Ganner's place, which is in... Markind? Markind. Um, and it just shows up at Ganner's. Ganner's like, what? <laughs> oh, what good fortune. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Lenina, like, I think they And you plan- brought all your kids. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and she passes off Kjallin as one of her children. Yeah. Um, and I think they have the wedding feast, like, they plan it for the next day. That night. That night. Yeah. The, yeah. Yep, yep, they yep. don't mess around. Which to me, I I understand that it's a propriety thing, that if she's, like, yeah. going to stay in his castle with his children, yeah. like, they need to be married. Yeah. Um, but, uh, like, it doesn't make any sense that you, like, plan a wedding feast in two hours and then, like, get everyone to show up. I don't and know. <laughs> So much happens in that one 24-hour period. There's yeah, a really good wild. moment later when Brit is like, can we please stop for the night today? It's been a hundred years long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, the kids are like freaked out by all of this. Understandably, their father just died and now their mother like just is straight up with them and is like, I'm happy to like move on to Ganner immediately like you kind of get the feeling that she hasn't loved Clennon in a really long time and I think I think more than that she feels like she was just kind of fulfilling her duties as his partner and she was Mm -hmm. raised a noble she then was switched over to living out of a cart Mm -hmm. and taking care of all of them raising the kids while also performing in the show and also cooking all their meals and just generally like taking care of everything yeah so on one hand I get it and then on the other hand if I was one of her children I would have a similar reaction to moral which Mm -hmm. is to just completely like you know, not have her I mean, in his life anymore. Leave, which yeah. is what they do next. So they see Tholian, or Moral sees Tholian talking to Ganner. And so he assumes w- what I assumed at first, which is that Ganner had Clannon uh, killed. Mm-hmm. And Moral. Very brazenly just having the murderer at the wedding <laughs> as well. <laughs> like, well, we all saw it happen. Yeah. But, okay. Um, so Moral, Dagner, Kjallin, and Brid all decide to hoof it. They leave. and uh, With Olub. With Olub, their horse. And they uh, pretty quickly, as they're traveling, realize that 
they don't really know how they're going to feed themselves. Um, so they end up in a town trying to do a performance like Clennon would have them do, but they're down two people and they don't have Clennon's energy or skill. Um, so they do manage to to give a little show and they get enough money to buy it. Um, Dagnar ends up buying them things that make no sense. Like he buys them a ton of like rhubarb. <laughs> And flour. And flour. Like, we can't make bread in the cart. Yeah. We need bread. We need loaves of bread. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but as Dagnar is coming back, um, he gets arrested. And it, we don't know exactly what for. So Moral follows him to the jailhouse, basically, and ends up in front of the magistrate and... Uh, the magistrate is trying to get information out of him about what Dagner did. And he said that Dagner passed information. Um, Merle, of course, has no idea about this. So the magistrate ends up releasing him. Yeah, they like, end up saying, what you're we've determined about. you don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, which is exactly what you want to hear yeah. when you're in custody, honestly. <laughs> and Moral is very aware throughout that the... Uh, magistrate is just interested in whoever's going to give him the most money and mm -hmm. that there's no real justice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then Moral does get to talk to Dagner for like three minutes and Dagner tells him, yes, I did pass a message. Clennon was a spy. Clennon We're was the porter. Spies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People have been talking about the porter and mm -hmm. how his, um, Bounty is 2,000 gold pieces, and Clennon like himself is announcing this at their shows, and yeah. it turns out he was the porter because throughout his career, he passes information both mm -hmm. like to the public and also to other spies as he travels throughout the South, and it's under the perfect guise. He's yep. as obvious as possible, He's which makes him in incredibly yeah, plain sight. in plain sight. <laughs> yeah. And Dagner does not possess the same qualities he that Clennon did. Yeah, he gives the message to a spy. To a spy. Immediately. A spy for the other side. Yeah. yeah a spy for the south, not the north. No. Instantly is caught and arrested. Yeah. Um, and Dagner, they're all just like, yeah, we're going to hang him. And Dagner says, Moral, you have to leave. Um, so Moral leaves and takes... Kjallin and Brid and it's like, well, they're going to hang Dagner. We got to keep going. <laughs> really, but, but also like nothing that they could possibly do short of trying to find help else, elsewhere. So mm -hmm. yeah, going north does make sense. Yeah. Uh, so they keep heading north. Um, oh, and I want to mention that throughout Moral is feeling hesitant about playing Clennon's quitter, which is the big quitter. It's, um, you know, a quitter is a made-up instrument for the purposes of this book, but I'm imagining it like a lute sort of guitar. Mm -hmm. um, that's just me. <laughs> you tell me what you think a quitter is. And he is always a little overwhelmed by the big quitter when he tries to play it it makes sounds that he doesn't understand it's hard to tune but he's beginning to try to use it because his dad told him mm -hmm. that he was passing it on to him and that it was yeah. important and he's starting to realize that there are some weird things about it mm -hmm. yeah and that he did you say he 
he actually is the direct descendant of, of Osfemeron, who he's named after, who is like a magical bard of old. Yeah, Clennon has said that they have a direct father to son descendancy mm-hmm. from Osfemeron, but also everything Clennon said, his kids take with a grain of salt because he was such a storyteller. Exactly. Yeah. And I think around this time, we also find out that Kjallin is the son of a northern earl. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, you know, things have been so secretive with him. It turns out that he accidentally washed up on a shore with a bunch of southern earls and they immediately murdered his brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he escaped. So uh, that's why he has to get north. And it's also why he makes himself scarce in town with them and doesn't like just hang out with them. He kind of skulks around and watches their shows from the shadows um, because they had thought it was just because he was like too good for them or something. Yeah. Uh, so they keep traveling. Um, things are relatively dismal. <laughs> Morale is slow. Morale is slow. <laughs> um, and Moral keeps learning about his magical instrument um, and like trying to figure out what they can do with it. Yeah, it's becoming clear to him that he can control people with it mm-hmm. or at least have some kind of impact on them just from a few chance moments. Mm-hmm. And then he starts trying to understand how to actually use it to their advantage to try to save them all. Mm-hmm. Essentially, they're they're continuing to travel and then Olob gets freaked out. So they tell Kjallin to head off by himself because that means that enemies are near. Mm-hmm. And then they come upon a bunch of soldiers with a trestle blocking the road. And it took me so long to understand what that meant. <laughs> what did you think? I don't know. Trestle. I Maybe I'm just tired, but I, I wasn't understanding what a trestle was. You, you know why I recognized a trestle? From Baldur's Gate. <laughs> <laughs> Been seeing a lot of those. <laughs> so the soldiers capture them and take them to their camp, and there is the big bad. Tholian is there being hella evil from like right away. He and then <laughs> He's talking to Brid and Moral, and Moral is trying to be the one talking to control the narrative, and Brid is not shutting up and immediately gives away the fact that Kjallin is, like, Very hiding nearby. in the nearby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they immediately find Kjallin. They're both giving conflicting stories at the same time, and yeah. it's just really bad. Yeah, it's... That's why you got to so pick bad. one person to speak yep. in this yep. type of situation. Yeah, and they should have agreed moral. on it ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> should have given it to the 11-year-old. <laughs> He's the responsible but, one here. <laughs> but also Brid has more charisma than him, so I do get why she was trying to take charge. But they say, like, she has charisma, but she doesn't actually have the uh, as much of the talent yeah. to back it up as Clennon did. For sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Tholian does some evil monologuing, um, and they find Kjallin, pull him out of the woods, and uh, uh, painfully, like, haul him up next to a tent. Um, and uh, everything looks pretty bad, but it's at this time that Moral decides to really, uh, unleash the quitter. Yes. Yeah. To take some of the quitter's power and, and release it, release it. So he pulls it out and he starts strumming it and is thinking of sleep 
and the entire camp sleeps. We get a great a couple lines about Tholian, like, ragefully running back as he realizes what's happening, but then he just passes out. <laughs> yeah, he really tries to fight it. He's yeah. like, stop it. Yeah. Someone smash that thing. Yeah. And then he just passes out. It's great. And I think it happens a couple times in the book that I thought was interesting when someone says, like, I expected him to say someone smashed that cursed quitter, but he says someone smashed that blessed mm. quitter, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. Yeah, for sure. I think it's very clearly a God gift mm-hmm. of some kind. Yeah. So they can't help but... Let's call it blessed. Respect it. Yeah. Wasn't given to him by a devil. Um, that we know. So, it's not a violin at the crossroads, baby. Yeah, it's a quitter of the gods. The, of the, gods. <laughs> the opposite thing. <laughs> um, so everyone passes out. I should say a fiddle at the crossroads, not a violin. Please continue. Oh, yes, don't don't write us letters about that, Satan. If you're listening, <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Trying to stay on that guy's you, good we side. We will apologize to you. <laughs> So he manages to rouse Kjallin, which I think is funny. He, like, shakes them awake. Um, Brid is not awake, and they decide to leave her asleep as a uh A sort sign. of timer for yes. the spell, yeah. which I really appreciated. Because from the start, I was like, you got to keep somebody asleep and take them with you so that you have some idea of how yep. much of a head start you have. Yeah, so they book it. Uh, they really run Olab ragged um, because they're trying to get as far away as they can before they wake up. Um, they don't get that far. And at this point, they see a small uh, company of men like spot them and head towards them. And Olab doesn't freak out. So it's like, okay, well, they're not enemies then. And then it it's Kjellin's father, mm-hmm. the Northern Earl, with mm-hmm. his men. Um, so that's exciting to be like, oh, yay, they found some allies. Somebody. <laughs> Somebody. Because um, most of the book, you just can't help but feel very panicked that these children yeah. are alone. Yeah, don't have any adult backup. Um, and uh, then we find out that the company that the Northerners have is like a tenth of the size mm-hmm. of the Southern army that's coming up. Um, so they set off at a breakneck pace for, there's like a fort mm-hmm. nearby In that's right on the border. That um, is held by the North. Yes. Yeah, so they're going there to try to outrun the Southern army. Uh, Moral does another quitter magic, which is really cool, where he like multiplies yeah. the force by 10. Because there's this folk song that oh, one yeah. northerner is worth 10 southerners. So they're like, we'll make ourselves 10 times as many in sight. Exactly. Um, so there's like a great scene where all of the men are just like cackling in glee as they're like watching their nine doubles run along beside them. Yeah, and they all mimic their motions. So yeah. there's also that he, after he does the spell, at first he's thinking that he'll just, yeah, create the sight of more of them, but he actually perfectly. Um, I don't know the word for 10 timesing something, <laughs> but creates that many of everyone. So there's also a little moral like playing the quitter and 10 pink ten cards. Pink cards yeah. And it's very cool. Yeah. And it does shock the Southern mm-hmm. army enough for them to get a little bit ahead of them. And then he also plays a run chord mm-hmm. on the quitter. So they freak out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
But then as they get to the gates of the fort, there's a bottleneck. Um, the Southerners are right up behind them. And, and Tholian and his whole army show up at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and they're like raining uh, gunfire and arrows down on them. Uh, and there's like a crush of people trying to get through. And then Olab freaks out because there's a ton yeah. of enemies nearby. He like rears and he's shot in the head and immediately dies. Um, and for moral, that's the last straw. Yeah, things are <laughs> really kicking off after that point. Yeah. He runs up on the hillside with his quitter and he sings like a lament for uh, Clennon and Dagner uh, and Olab, and he... And then he switches into a revenge song. Yeah, and he moves the mountains. Much as his ancestor did. Yeah, uh, and Tholian and a lot of his forces get squished by mountains. <laughs> <laughs> squished. That now. Uh, which is great. Boo Tholian. <laughs> um and Moral does feel a lot of pain about this for one, causing the death of so many people. And also he feels like he lied to the quitter mm-hmm. because he said it was for Clennon and Dagner, but it was really just for Olaf. It was for Olaf. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk more about this with our magical system segment. But in order for the quitter to function properly, you have to tell the truth with mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, so you can't be laboring under your own view of the world or like subjective opinions. Mm-hmm. And he feels that he slighted it by proclaiming that this was for the good of all, but it was really just because he was mad that all got shot. Yeah. And somewhere... It's kind of complicated, but it, it we'll is. talk about it more. <laughs> and it doesn't happen like sharply at this mm-hmm. point, but we get, um, we learn throughout the book that uh, the reason that Clennon was able to steal Lenina from Ganner is because he basically like changed reality with the quitter and it was the only time that he was able to use its magic. Yeah. Um, which, hmm. <laughs> I know. He also, like, forced his wife to marry him with the quitter. Like, he yeah. made her love him in that moment. Right, yeah. Which also explains some of her clear resentment. Right, yeah. So that's that's fair, Lenina. After they defeat the southern army, they're in Hanert, and a bard pulls up with his daughter. Estefan. <laughs> And then Dagner pops out of the cart. He has not been hanged, no. which I had been wondering about. I was just like, wow, he just died off screen and we're not going to talk about him again. <laughs> um, and he uh, reveals that Ganner saved him, that he like came to the town. Uh, it was right after Tholian died. So he fired the magistrate mm-hmm. and was like, I'm taking control of this operation. <laughs> Um, so good job, uh, Jenner. Guess a fuss pot's good for something after all. That's what they call him throughout the book. Yeah, because he yells at them when they climb on the roof and he's like, you're gonna die. (laughs) It's sweet. Like, he actually clearly does want to try to protect them. Yeah, which is, yeah, so, like, that's another thing about it. Like, I think Ganner might actually be a pretty good person that Mm -hmm. he immediately is just down to like take care of these children but he's also complicit as an earl in all of the nasty stuff going on That's in true. the south and yeah. like the fact that the magistrate 
in his earldom is totally corrupt and stuff. So it does fire him. Yeah, true. <laughs> but yeah, no, he's it's a complicated guy, he's, Ganner. You know, Ganner's got more going on than meets the eye. Boring yet complicated. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, and so they are set up in the Earl's household in the North. And overall tensions have just died down between the North and South in large part because Tholian was the one really pushing he was the main aggressor. for this war. Yeah. And not only is he dead, but a lot of his army died and also a lot of them disbanded because they were forced into service right. in the first place and mm-hmm. didn't feel loyalty to him. So everything seems calmer for now. Yeah. An army made out of slaves is uh, not a loyal one. It is not. <laughs> always say. It's not. Um, and things are like happy ending, basically, mm-hmm. but uh, Moral cannot be happy. He's restless. Living in this way. He gets too hot. They give him a room with a garden off of it because he refuses to sleep inside uh, unless it's raining. <laughs> and he's still, he's just yearning for the hills. He's yearning for the road. Mm-hmm. He's realizing that as the keeper of the quitter, he needs to continue needs to be out journeying there. on. Yeah. He needs to become like a force of legend. Uh, so he goes to the bard and says, hey, when you leave, take me with you, okay? And that's how the book ends. <laughs> I love that that bard's name is Hestefan. I know, Hestefan. Hestefan. It reminds um, me of Hestu. Oh, totally. Another powerful traveler. And uh, music A bard of of sorts. sorts. (laughs) Shaka shaka. I do really love how he got an upgrade in Tears of the Kingdom for his little (laughs) song. Dancing. I know. I never skip it. I always watch it. It's so good. Wonderful summary. Thank you. Curtain quitters. So let's jump into old and new impressions because I, Madeline. I have not read this book. And I maybe read this book. I swear that I have. I swear that I have. But it's one of those things that, you know, a lot of the trappings can be confused with other books, especially ones that you read a long time ago. But I, I just, I can't believe I don't have more concrete memories of the magical quitter, especially, because that's the kind of thing that, you know, young me and would have been all current that. age me yeah. would be very into and am into. Um, and I also love the kids and a family, like, continuing on together. And I love that Moral and Brid have a really like cute funny sibling relationship where you know they love each other and are helping each other but they're also like making faces and being like that guy's the worst yeah, when I, they're I like um feeling annoyed by Kjallin, uh or their parents or things like that um and you know i think you and patrick and i if we were in uh, this situation totally. as kids would have like be- behaved in the same way totally <laughs> and i like to think that we too would have been like we got to get our horse and get out of here <laughs> in in that situation <laughs> yeah things started getting dire um and yeah i think you know to i i wish that i hadn't lost the memories that i have about these books that i read when i was a kid but the sad truth, too, is that pre-internet, pre-easy like easy ways of recording what 
you were reading. I wish I had had the foresight as a kid to like keep a list of the books that I read, but obviously um, that's not realistic. Uh, And as my many truncated diaries will show you, I'm not good at keeping ongoing records of anything (laughs) that I do, but I've tried and abandoned so many, so many times. Um, But books taken out from the library, especially like they were so fleeting, so intangible, Mm. you know, it wasn't, I may never see it again or like remember what the name was. And, you know, you're just looking things up through like the card catalog or just like whatever you can find on the shelves. On the weird search system on the computer that's very difficult to use. (laughs) Yes. And where you like, if you get one letter off in the author's name or something, it's like, absolutely not. Definitely not. (laughs) Leave the library. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Just without that digital record, it's harder. And I think that's something that I do appreciate so much, especially now that we have the podcast. Like, I'm just so much more diligent about saving books that not just that I'm reading, but also that I'm thinking about or that I want to revisit um, and just having a system for saving those. Like, this sounds so boring, but it's really important to me. And something like this makes me sad that I don't have a greater impression of Carton Quitter from when I was young. Yeah, I guess I guess I cope with that by being okay with it if it just falls back into the shadow of time and memory. Uh, I fear that. I fear it so much. When I was a kid at one point, I decided that I was going to record every memory that I ever had um, because I was scared that I would lose them. I've had a significant fear of like Alzheimer's and dementia since I was young. And so I have this insane notebook where I was trying to do that for a while. And then, you know, you reach the point where the scribe says like, well, if I'm just scribing, how can I live? (laughs) Yeah. And you have to stop. No, I mean, there's, cause there's certain things that I want to retain. Like I keep all my like drawings in one place for instance, but they're very, it's, you know, for like inspiration Mm -hmm. or also just as like a journal kind Mm -hmm. of, of where I was when I drew them. Um, but yeah, no, I, you know, I, sometimes it's just a warm comfort to let Mm -hmm. things fade into the void Mm. for me at least. No, that, (laughs) that sounds really nice. And I mean, we're getting a lot deeper into my neuroses than I expected. I'm sorry, everyone, but Uh, maybe what what else is this podcast about? (laughs) It's about pain. (laughs) Um, I guess this is maybe like the writer's or like journaler's lament. Like you just can never be saving as much as you maybe want to be. Mm. But then at the same time, I totally agree with what you're saying. And you do need to also have spontaneity and also be able to have the welcome, pleasant rush of a memory that you haven't been obsessing over. And sometimes I worry that I'm like keeping things too close and then, you know, just nervously cataloging them in a way that is not conducive to um, happiness. So, hey, okay. I worry a lot of things I do are not conducive to happiness. Yes, yeah, we (laughs) definitely share that. Um, but anyway, brains. Wow. I wish I remembered Carton Quitter better. And it was a bizarre experience rereading it and on every other page being like, whoa, 
okay. Yeah, sounds like it was very trippy for you. It was kind of trippy. Um, and the book itself is kind of trippy. It is, so yeah. So going, going into new impressions, um, I'll just treat this like a book that I hadn't really read before because I don't have those concrete memories. Um, it The tone changes so dramatically. I did and not expect that. For those who have read or watched the um, HBO Max adaptation of Station Eleven um, by Emily St. John Mandel. Um, I I have done both. I I love the book. Really highly recommended. And the show is interesting, but they did um, change a lot of things. So you can view it as kind of a different project. Um, but it is about a traveling musical troupe that is exploring the sort of like Michigan area in the U.S. after a pandemic that kills most of the world's population. Um, And what I loved about that book was the camaraderie and like attempts to maintain and stimulate art in the face of great difficulty. Mm. Um, That book is a lot more like violent and scary than this one. Obviously it's for adults, but I did think that some of the same feeling was captured here. And I feel like Carton Quitter inspired Station Eleven a little bit um, because of some of these through lines. Um, Like I said, I really liked that they were all a family, even though they were in it for their own reasons, each of them, like being in the musical troupe, you know what I mean? Yeah. Even the kids who, they don't really have a choice, you know, they have to like live and that means traveling with their mother and father. Um, but they are also all like honing their own craft mm-hmm. through the process, yeah. whatever that means. And Except for Lenina. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, she. I think she's like, just trying to be somewhere else. Yeah, um, her soul is dead. <laughs> yeah, which is hard. She's an interesting character. Yeah. <laughs> she is. You talk about her under romantic realism. I'm just going to keep naming when we'll talk about things. We'll never actually get to them. Um, we'll just talk about them now. <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, I really liked that structure. I really enjoyed the detailed shows and the way that, Diana wrote out their set lists essentially yeah. for each town that they went to and just getting us absorbed in Clennon's masterful storytelling um, and the way that they transition from new songs to old songs, which Morrill says he doesn't like and which he doesn't want to use the big quitter to play. I think in part because they stress him out with their significance and the baked in power that's there because he's kind of throwing off the responsibility of the magic quitter. Mm. So he doesn't want to engage with everything that could happen when singing some of those songs of old. Um, And I love the description of their different artistic stylings and like how they each change their voices to fit with the different types of songs that they're doing. Um, I, you know, as someone who loves music, I was just, I was really into the actual shows. Um, I did think that was impressive. Yeah. She flushed it. It was really well done. And I Mm -hmm. really, you know, I think that's something that's hard to do is to write about um, music, especially. Definitely. um, But then also like a full musical performance um, and also so characterize everyone through their parts um, and their approaches to it. 
uh, like the the nervousness of of um, Dagner when he's trying to perform one of his beautiful songs that he writes himself. Like he has a lot of composing skill, but he's so terrified at being in front of a crowd that he can barely wrest them out of his yeah. tortured body. <laughs> Which again, respect. why is this the child that you sent to pass on the spy message? <laughs> I know. Why would you? Think you had good call, at this. Man. I just don't know, but I guess it all it all works out in the end. And then my last new impression, um, just to flush out what I mentioned earlier, the abrupt changes in tone are shocking, but actually work. And we know, you know, how much we love Diana Wynne Jones. She's an incredible writer. I was very impressed that she could pull off especially the day of Clennon's murder which starts with them you know having a pleasant morning by a lake Mm -hmm. Um, he gets murdered by assassins then Morrill plays the quitter so that he can give his dying messages then they go to Ganner's house and they meet all of Ganner's staff and try to get their ideas about him a wedding is arranged they see their father's killer the kids all take off and then meet back up with Karen. Karen, I don't know how to say any words. <laughs> These names are really hard. And take off in flight into the night. Um, that That's quite a day. And the pacing of the book is also pretty frantic throughout mm-hmm. um, because it's one of those journey chase books where yeah. the enemies are just constantly nipping at your heels. But then there was also time for thorough exploration of this blessed quitter and its magical powers. And I just loved that. Speaking of the magical quitter, magic systems, this one was really interesting because to my knowledge, there is no other magic present anywhere in the book other than things that the quitter did in the past or does in the present, right? Well, and there is like a through line of like the power, the legends of the old days, because uh, Kiaran is the Adon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there is the power of sort of story itself. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's what it is. It's it's like the magic of storytelling, right? Because the quitter, that's what the quitter does as mm-hmm. well. It's yeah. just helping to bring these words mm-hmm. literally into existence. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there we have the repeat pattern of Brid, Moral, and Kjallin. They are all named after or taking up the title of their own like historical predecessors. But yeah, they're repeating patterns from the great stories of old. Um, yeah, so so it is it is the power of the story. Um, always love that coming into a fantasy book because the book is the magic itself. And the quitter is kind of a perfect instrument to serve as a magical item. And, you know, nothing new. Like, we've covered a lot of books with magic, lutes, guitars, you know, a variety of stringed instruments. Um, What's coming to mind most prominently right now is the Patricia C. Reedy story from the Book of Enchantments about the 
young woman's remains being used to make a speaking oh, harp. Oh, yeah. Brutal. Her that bones was so metal. and hair <laughs> um, becoming the harp that tells a maybe true story of her murder. Maybe untrue. Maybe true. Maybe. Um, yeah, but, but I, I love that the quitters just like kind of always present and it's making weird sounds and it's like stressing moral out. It also took me back to being a kid when you're like trying to practice an instrument and you're like, ah, I can't do I'm this. stupid. <laughs> I got the stupid hands. <laughs> Completely. And when I learned to play guitar, it was hard. And I, when Morrill said that his finger fingers were becoming red and tingly and he was blowing on them to cool them during a performance, I was like, I've been with you there, buddy. Those frets get painful on your fingertips. Ouch. So um, I, I really appreciated The Quitter and the title of Carton Quitter is really powerful in itself. And there's something super appealing about them, just having everything in their world packed up with them in their cart and they're traveling through this danger and chaos um, and warring earls, but they're just continuing to live the only way they know how, which is to make music and buy bags of flour <laughs> that they'll make in a sad little pancakes. Yeah, they make like water and flour pancakes. Well, I was hoping they'd try to, yeah, because you can make like camp bread with water and flour only. It doesn't taste very good, but they had cheese, so you can you can make something happen. And at one point they ponder mixing in some cheese to make it taste better, so. Not something good. <laughs> If you have butter, if you have butter and flour, I feel like you can do more with that. Well, of course, but biscuits. in this situation, they don't. So that's I what know, I'm talking about. You also need milk for biscuits. Just eat the flour in spoonfuls. Okay. <laughs> just um, suck it down, get it over with. <laughs> I also want to talk about romantic realism and talk more about Lenina because at first I was a little nervous that she was going to be just a cold mom figure and I also wasn't sure initially if she was the mother of all the kids because the the way moral also talks about them um in delivering the third person perspective is that he calls them by their names um he doesn't always say like mother and father and things yeah, like that. Yeah, no, at the very beginning um, I was confused by at that. At the start I wasn't sure if they were even all related. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just maybe it's cuz I was also thinking about Station 11 in which it it is just a random mix of people, not a family or in the traveling um Shakespearean troupe. Um but Lenina was clearly forced into her life by Clennon and then he's kind of a blowhard and he kind of just forces everything to do what he wants and yeah, I thought it was really powerful that moment when um, Moral is like realizing that he had kind of intentionally cut them all off at the knees a little bit by making them so reliant on him mm -hmm. so that they would sort of just have to obey and he's he's also sometimes a somewhat violent man. Um, yeah, he bashes Kiala and Moral's heads yeah, together. Yeah, when he did that, I was like, oh, no. Yeah, and I was like, dude, come on. You don't mess with those one's are, head. Yeah, those are children. You don't do that to anyone. <laughs> Their brains are still developing. Their skulls are soft. Like, please, <laughs> leave them be. But yeah, her, like, once you actually find out about what happened with him, like, 
playing the magical quitter, and that's why she mm-hmm. left Ganner and went, like, that's actually pretty messed up. And it doesn't seem like she ever yearned for it. We don't get that much characterization from her. It's all through her children and things that they say she's told them. And Dagner is her, like, um, confidant. Yeah. So he is the one who knows a little bit more about her internal thoughts. But when she does go to Ganner's, she becomes talkative and lively and seemingly much more herself than she's been in the cart. Um, and she's just a, yeah, it's a dark character. And I'm actually really happy that she got that ending with Ganner. Yeah. Because for a woman of her um, place, for one of the nobility, I think being with a man who's going to be nice to you and like take care of you is kind of the best that you can possibly get yeah, at who, that like, time. Yeah, cares for you and is opening his home to your children your by another children, man exactly. who stole you from him. Yeah. <laughs> no, Ganner was fascinating. And then I think in turn, you know, he characterizes Lenina more clearly as well um, because she was raised in this world and she would like to continue to be in it. But she also cares about her kids. And I think it's sweet that she sent that really gushing letter to Brid and Moral with Dagner. Um, and like it says that she even mentioned the roof that Moral was running around on top of. And it's like, so she is paying attention and she is thinking about them. Um, it's just like a really complicated family. I would have the same reaction as Moral of just being like, you're a stranger to me now. <laughs> well, and the she certainly could have like approach things a little more openly with her kids that day too um i mean she does say she's very logical in the way she presents the situation to them which she says like what what more can i do you know you don't have a dad i don't have a husband as of this morning and we we can't perform the show just by ourselves we are going to run out of money immediately i i know that i have a place with ganner because he just told me like at the last show when he was one of the murmuring gentlemen that approaches because after the show since uh lenina is beautiful murmuring gentlemen come up and try to talk to her and also try to talk to brid which is gross because she's 13 but i appreciate the way that everyone else in the party is like get out of here murmuring gentlemen (laughs) come away (laughs) So it all makes a lot of sense. And I thought that was also an injection of like welcome realism and like a piece that made this feel more like our world in a medieval setting than a pure fantasy. You know what I mean? Which is something that Diana Wynne Jones is so good at doing too, mixing the magical and the real. And then Clennon is like very much... Even though he's a spy, I think in a lot of ways he also really is like mostly looking out for himself. Yeah. Um, I think he's really interested and invested in being on stage and having people at his beckoned call. And I think being an informant is a big part of that. Yeah. I think he wants to like, yeah, he wants to have his fingers in all the pots and be the one who is at the center of things. Um, So he's also a fascinating character. I mean, and he dies pretty early on, but then his presence kind of lingers in the talk of the Porter and the way that, moral learns about him and everything that he's been doing um so yeah i I thought for such a short action-packed book the extent to which we get to know each of the characters was really compelling and before we go on to 
Well, I guess let's just actually talk. Okay. And let's talk about Brid during Badass Ladies because I want to talk about her. But first, we need to talk about animals, just yeah, like animals in this book. Olab, Olab in this book. Olab. <laughs> and since Robin McKinley, I haven't been able to find, you know, quite oh. such a good, fully realized horse. <laughs> I love Olab. Although, um, some of the Mercedes Lackey books that we've read have had really, really good horse characters in yeah, them too. True. So I want to shout those out. Um, but from the start, Olub, who adorably also has a big fancy name, the same way that the actual children of Clennon have, it's obvious that he held Olub Barangarolub in the same esteem. As his children. <laughs> As his, yes. No, for sure. And he's their faithful horse. He pulled their cart, but also warns them when danger is near. Also, it, he yeah, he like gets worked up when there are enemies close by. Me too. <laughs> yeah, same. But I have the feeling that Olaf is a little more perceptive. <laughs> Just gonna start like making freaked out noises and like ah, people <laughs> acting like you're rearing up in the air. <laughs> oh, Madeline just becomes a horse when she gets stressed out. Um, and throughout the book, we get characterization of Olab too. He has different little reactions to moments, and sometimes he gets like sweaty with consternation. Um, and I just really appreciated that. And he also picks where they sleep every night. And sometimes, you know, when I'm on a journey, uh, like if I'm walking and I get too hungry and I'm like, well, I have to stop and get some food, but where? And then I just keep walking. Or when you're on a camping trip or a canoe trip and you just go too far, it's nice to have someone just say, stop. Yeah. Eat now, sleep now, rest now. When Olaf gets shot in the head, it's a really striking moment, like almost upset. more intense than when Clennon gets stabbed yeah. because it happens right there, right on the page. Yeah. Whereas with Clennon, there's just like a... He's obscured. Right, like a, a rustle, men. and then he's laying face down in the lake. Um, but I appreciated that Olaf's death was swift so that he didn't feel pain, and then it leads to, in the like most badass possible way, moral just wild and out and being like, you killed my horse, prepare to die. Mm-hmm. Even better than you killed my father, prepared to die, if you ask me. Yeah, I do. I really love it in books when, uh, like, a uh, pivotal character is, like, injured or killed, and then the person who loves them just loses it and completely cyclones whatever <laughs> killed them. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> That's a great trope. That shows you. Yeah. With that, shall we on to pretend food? Pancakes, bad pancakes, 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 grossy, grossy pancakes. Um, yeah, lots of gross food. It's it's quest food. It's traveling made food. by children for a made good amount of the children. book. Children, yeah, they've lost. Um, you know, first their dad and then their mom after they run away. And they do things like eat a lot of stale bread. There's an early passage. That reads, supper was not very good, and what little bread they had was stale. I say, this tastes peculiar, Kellen said, pushing his share about on his plate. Lenina's face, which never had much expression, went quite blank. I meant to buy bread and onions and daren't, but there was no time. 
So, so we're, it. we're already getting like her face usually doesn't look like anything, but now it's even blanker than uh, typically is. Shout out to the beefsteak when oh, they yeah. are in the next town. Clennon was in good humor because an old friend of his had made him a present of a beefsteak. It was beautifully red and tender and wrapped in leaves to keep it fresh. Clennon stowed it carefully in a locker. I liked it whenever they talked about putting things in their lockers because I just pictured school lockers like lining the walls <laughs> of the, the massive co- steak <laughs> slab of, of meat. <laughs> <in there. laughs> they put in money, they put in steaks, whatever you like. It's also really funny how the wine jug is such a character throughout the book as well because it takes up so much space in the cart that Moral can't sleep in there with bread and has to like deal with the thrashing elbows and knees of Kellen in the boy's tent. Yeah, Kellen is is a violent sleeper. But that wine jug is so huge. How huge is it? So huge. So there's no room for anybody else in the cart. And there's secret messages in it. The wine jug has secret messages. Yeah, it's part of the pretend food section here. Um, Clennon gets drunk on the wine a lot. And uh, yeah, it seems like the wine does well by everyone. Although they um, get grumpy when they think they've accidentally left the gold that was stashed in. I imagine the wine jug has one of those like wicker holders around it you know what i mean okay. and that's where things are being stuffed yeah um but brit actually took the gold in the end so it didn't get back to the batties good call you don't leave the doubloon that's right <laughs> um kellen is really good at catching and skinning rabbits so they get some rabbits for a little while he has a whole brace of conies as samwise gamji might say <laughs> but lenina makes him leave it because she knows that they're just going to immediately go to canners and they are not going to have to be eating rabbits then but then when they escape they really miss it Here's some nice food for Olab. Um, once they're at Ganner's, Moral is in the stable with Olab a lot because he is standing dejectedly there and <laughs> looking sad. Mm-hmm. Moral stole sugar for him from the kitchen, which was easy to do because everyone there was in a great bustle preparing for the wedding feast. Olab ate it politely, but he looked sad and he was sweating rather. <laughs> Fair. That would also be me. Yeah, I also sweat when I'm upset in like several different emotional categories. And my mother is about to marry a man I don't know. And my dad got stabbed that morning. Yeah, that morning. Yeah. Well, now I'm also saying that they're Olab's parents, but they are in a way. Well, yeah, Clennon was definitely his dad. Then we have the kids on the run trying to cook for themselves with a really weird mixture of food. Um, They discover the only food they have is bread and onions. Moral had the notion of frying the bread and onions together. I sidebar, I don't I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Just chunk hunks of bread in there with the onion. Unfortunately, it was then so dark that he could not see to fry. The mixture he turned out of the frying pan was extremely singed, and it was only eaten because everyone was very hungry. It's just charcoal that's onion-flavored, I'm sure. It's not great. (laughs) Sounds really bad. Yep. Later, they had a sort of cheese omelet for lunch, sitting on a point of green land between two brisk streams. Kellen would have it that what they were eating was scrambled eggs. Brid disagreed. So it's just them, like, trying to make food out of nothing and then (laughs) arguing with each other. And um, Madeline and I have, you know, when we were kids, sometimes we'd try to cook and we'd make really weird things. But, you know, it's not about what it tastes like. It's about the fun you have along the way. 
And how hungry you are. And also how hungry you are <laughs> and what you're willing to and what you're willing to eat down. And yeah. I know that's the unspoken <laughs> final piece. <laughs> For sure. Badass ladies. Let's also talk about Brit a little bit because she is more of a character than the, you know, token girl of the family would need to or typically be in this type of book. Um, but once again, Diana is taking care of us and she paints a lovely, confident, um, very brave young girl who is doing her best to keep charging forward and the way that she captures the crowd's attention when they're so anxious and doing their first ever show without um either their dad or is Dagner even there at this point this is before he gets arrested yeah he's in the show yeah the way that they just keep losing people and both Moral and Dagner are so it's it's so obvious to them that without Brid, they would never be able to do this. Like she not only has to get the attention of the crowd, she like very matter of factly tells this incredible story of my father was murdered this morning. We are doing our best to carry on his song. And everyone's just like, oh my God. Yeah, I love how right away they're just super open. I thought they were going to be a little more covert about that, but it makes sense ultimately that they're just like, Clennon is dead. <laughs> well, yeah, I did. They have his cart. No, for sure. I kept getting stuck on that too because I was like, clearly they know this is fraught and that there's likely a political context to why he why was he, murdered. Yeah. But like- you can't not identify yourselves when you are the most obvious traveling bard group that exists yeah. like in this nation. Um, and it would be so bizarre for Clennon not to be there and them not to address it. Yeah. So this way they really make their pain into gold. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all thanks to Brid that they're able to get through it. And she sings something that I wish I could hear called the... Um, it like cow's song or cow's call, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, which sounds really cute. And you like add new cows into each verse and you're like describing the next cow and singing out all the cows. And I was really into sounds, that. So Sounds up our alley. <laughs> Good job, Brid. Um, so shall we actually select our badass ladies? I feel like I want to give mine a moral. Go little, for it. little Nino moral. Yeah. Um, I love that he's a, as we've said, a, a dreamy boy. Yeah. He's got his head in the clouds and for good reason. And it's because he has these two powerful parts of himself, mm -hmm. one paying very close attention, which you notice early on in the book when he's counting these, every minute detail around him, like the number of folds in the forehead of the man that he's yeah. talking to and the yeah. number of people in a room, um, but then also is like millions of miles away. So he can function both on a rational and abstract level at once. And I admire his uh, ability to think things out. Mm -hmm to get where he needs to go. Um, I liked that being really clearly described as a part of the narrative too, because that's a valuable part of, you know, fantasy adventure stories that mm -hmm. aren't always given that clear attention where it's like, he's sitting and thinking about this. Then he's thinking about this. Then he's thinking about this. Yeah. And I like, I find myself doing that a lot with like my own ideals, mm -hmm. beliefs, opinions, like really trying to trace them out and, like rationally come to why what I yeah. believe and experience is 
valid and reasonable which and everyone well should do <laughs> yeah um so that like it kind of made me think of, of that a little bit with moral um and i think it's really valuable for young readers to read texts like that mm-hmm. as well as well as adults there are yeah. lots of adults that never stop and think about why they hold the values that they do or if they even make sense critical thinking guys yeah. um but I think we're preaching to the choir. <laughs> You're here. You're listening to this podcast. Um, and I would like to rate moral a robust bard's journey. Hey. Yeah. And maybe um some better calluses. Yeah, yeah. Better calluses. He's only eleven. He's got so know, much more to learn so and like grow his skills. And I'm just, you know, I'm excited for him. Yeah, boy on the road. Yeah, yeah. I am going to give my badass lady ranking to, uh, you know, I, I'm between Brid and the Quitter itself. Nice. Um, I'll give one to each of them. Nice. So for Brid, I'm giving a beautiful pair of cherry red leather boots that will not wear out. Dude, I want those. They will persist. <laughs> those boots sounded so great. And the moments when I really related to her when she was like, wait, I have to put on my boots. And they were like, no, like we have to go. And she was like, no, I'll do better with my boots. Mm-hmm. And the way that we dress ourselves is an important impact on our confidence and oh, capability yeah. and like if you're not feeling good one day and then but then you put on like the right pair of shoes you just feel like you can trample all those little i already forgot his name Thor, thorians Tholians. Tholians. <laughs> i wear my skull ring every day yep, it gives me... has a massive skull ring on <laughs> always <laughs> it gives me great power it makes me feel so much more confident so yeah fully understand for the quitter, my um, I'm, I'm going to give the quitter some sort of like all weather, all purpose utility case because the way that Moral is literally in the middle of a battle and this blessed god object is just mm-hmm. bouncing on his back, yeah, that being was a good held point. on by a little strap. That's a good point. I was always really worried about the quitter. Like, I don't think it matters if the quitter falls into the wrong hands because Moral is literally the descendant of, like, the magical quitter bearer. Yeah, it's like who who can actually use it. Right. But still, you don't want anybody else getting into its strings and you don't want it falling off and, like, getting stepped on. Yeah, no, it's a magical artifact. You want to be precious about it. Lock it up. (laughs) In a good way, not a bad way. (laughs) Imprison the quitter. Behind bars. <laughs> so that wraps it up for our episode on Carton Quitter by Diana Wynne Jones. Always a joy to get into some DWJ. We have many, many, many other episodes on our books. So if this is your first one, um, go check those out. DragonBabiesPodcast.com on Instagram at DragonBabiesPodcast and Twitter for now at DragonBabiesPod. I'll probably get rid of it eventually because I'm tired of whatever that website has become. (laughs) Madeline? I also post my art. You can find me on Instagram and uh, uh, TikTok. Pig and Doodles. Pig, the letter N, Doodles, D-O-O-D-L-E-S. Art, musings, pets, Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate. (laughs) I was going to say there's been more and more Baldur's Gate of late, um, but that's okay. This is fine. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> also, we're going to be back on a regular schedule this month. We're going to have two main feed episodes. Very exciting. So we'll go ahead and announce the second one here right now, which we haven't done for a while. We'll also put all this up on our Instagram if you want a reminder. Um, the next book will be The Seven Songs of Merlin by T.A. Barron, which is the next book in the Merlin series that we started actually just earlier this year. And Madeline wants to head right back to I, I Merlin love that series. Town. I'm stoked. Um, so that'll be out later this month. And over on our Babe Treon, we are going to be watching The Hobbit. You can't stop us. <laughs> Because in our opinion, no other Hobbit movies exist. I fought about this with Madeline's husband at her birthday dinner. (laughs) He's wrong. (laughs) I know. It's one of those opinions where like when someone, yeah, I I don't know. I'm not like a huge jerk about a lot of things. But if someone's like, (laughs) no, those movies are actually pretty good. I'm like, watch them again. That's all I have to say. Yeah. And I've... I've had multiple people come back to me and say, I did watch them again. And you're right. They're not good. Uh, with that, I guess we'll leave you. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. We appreciate all y'all yeah, so much. Uh, I was going to say, if you do want to join the Babe Trion, become a Babe Trin. It is $3 a month for one extra episode per month. And in addition to our Hobbit episode, we have a whole year's worth of backlog now that you can check out. Also, we cuss in them. Also, Dragon Babies After Dark. <laughs> there is cussing. <laughs> Enjoy. Patreon.com backslash Dragon Babies. All right, I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.